All right, guys, it's time for the next Level Guy Show, a men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats, covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. Today's guest is Dr. Cordelia Peel. Cordelia has been a medical doctor for over a decade, working in acute specialties including emergency medicine, trauma and stroke. Her medical training enabled her to work in South America, where she trekked up mountains, slept in a hammock and delivered medical care to local indigenous people, and also in Zimbabwe, where she carried out research to facilitate cradle, community blood pressure monitoring in rural Africa, detection of underlying pre-inclampsia which has now taken off in over 10 countries with the purpose of reducing maternal mortality and morbidity. While Cordelia loved aspects of being a doctor, deep down she wasn't feeling deeply fulfilled or having the kind of impact that she desired. She was aware that there was something more to her and that she wasn't fulfilling her true potential in the world or living the kind of lifestyle she wanted to. As a consequence of being stuck for some years, Cordelia suffered from high-functioning depression and eventually found herself on the burnout continuum. Shortly after, she lost her 47-year-old brother to suicide. With such a stark reminder of how short life can be, Cordelia decided to take her career and her life in a new direction. Cordelia now works with achievers who are also feeling trapped, restricted or compromised in some way and teaches them how to excel, how to become extraordinary and create ever-increasing levels of both health, well-being and external success. As a high-performance coach, her work is dedicated to helping people get their sparkle and their A-game back and achieve success while maintaining a healthy life and positive relationships. She now lives a nomadic life but plans to settle down in one of her favourite cities, Barcelona, in the near future. I'd like to dedicate this episode to the memory of Dr. Peel's brother. And now, let's get to the interview. Thank you so much for coming on. I love your social media. I love the work that you do. You're helping so many people deal with stress and issues that aren't really covered in society. But for people who don't recognize your name and they're going to become a big fan of yours, can you give a quick introduction and explain who you are and what you do? Well, first of all, Ian, I just want to thank you so much for having me on. I think being, being given the opportunity to speak to a male audience is something that's really, really close to my heart, considering um, the history that I have in terms of losing my, my 47-year-old brother to suicide. So thank you for allowing me to connect with men in this way. Who I am and what I do, I always find that question a funny question, because I think, especially in terms of the work that I do now, we turn, tend to answer that question in terms of what our name is and what we do for a living. And I, I find that a funny question. So I will tell you what I do. And, um, but who I am really is someone that really values our health, 
our happiness and our freedom. And I live a life really that's very much value driven. But my name is Cordelia. I have been a doctor for over a decade now and now I am a coach. And I guess the best way to summarize what I do is to say that I help people who are feeling trapped, restricted or compromised in some way to find their version of freedom and success. Because I love how you mention um, becoming unstuck and it's become a kind of, I like that, that's that focus point of we get stuck into our current rhythms, our current behaviours and habits and we don't really think we can change. But was there yeah. like a, a turning point uh, as a doctor that you thought, no, enough's enough, we need to start getting people? Because you mentioned in your, like, your website I think it was something like three quarters of calls coming in are like stress related and the bad behaviors that come off it. It's funny. So I'll talk to you about my history. But yeah, I mean, stress is a problem. And in 2016, the World Health Organization dubbed stress as the health epidemic of the 21st century. And in terms of GP visits, 70% of them are thought to be stress related. So stress is a huge problem and one that we're not managing very well. And it was one that I didn't manage very um, very well um, during some of my kind of um, time as a doctor. So it, the turning point was really was me hitting burnout. For a long time, I was kind of on this trajectory, feeling quite stuck and quite trapped. Now, don't get me wrong, I loved being a doctor, but I knew inside of me that it wasn't my final destination, that it was there was something beyond that I wanted to do. Um, but I didn't, because of fear, you know, and a lack of self-belief and a lack of confidence, I just kind of kept going through the motions on that treadmill Little did I know that I was going through these episodes and I kind of thought, I was like, what is wrong with me? I'd be going through these episodes of feeling kind of down, a bit hopeless, teary, drinking too much, not sleeping well, very low mood. And then I'd I'd come out of these episodes and think, oh, what was that about? Kind of dust myself off, crack on. Never took a day off work, though. Never, ever took a day off. And I was thinking, because I've got quite a um, complicated um, childhood history, I was thinking, maybe it's to do with that. Little did I know I was experiencing high-functioning depression, and this continued. And then it went on and on, and as I got further and further and deeper into into training, doing something that I knew wasn't quite right what I wanted and what I was doing because I was fulfilling the expectations of my father and those people around me, I pushed myself further and further, and I eventually burnt out. I was on the burnout continuum, and I just became overrun by um, depression and anxiety, and it was at that point that I knew something had to change. And that's the problem, isn't it? I think that's one of the biggest mistakes I see people who are stuck make is, it's the one that I made, is we wait for that pain and suffering of being stuck to become much bigger than the pain of taking action, right? And it was almost like I had no no, no other choice but to actually take some action. I definitely feel that. I was just like, it's like she's talking about me. You know, you could have changed our names there. And I was like, it's that (laughs) moment into it. It's like... It's the worst pain ever. You fed up. You're drinking yourself. You're thinking, what's the point? Yeah. You're going to an empty bed or whatever it is. And you're thinking, I don't feel like I can connect to anybody. This is the end of the world. And then you have a good day the next day and go, ah, that was just a bad, you know. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we don't think it's actually a sign that we need to change. I mean, you, you have a great series on stress. How does it actually affect us? I mean, because obviously we need some stress in our life to grow and adapt as a person. Mm-hmm. But how does stress create a situation like that that causes that depression? You know, when does it become like chronic? When does it become, oh, fuck, we need to do something? 
you know, mm-hmm. how do we then start educating people to say, actually, you don't need to wait till you're about to, you know, like, you know, you're drinking yourself into oblivion or you're doing drags or in fights and stuff like that. How, you know, how do we make people realize this is good level stress? This is a, okay, back up. We need to speak to somebody like yourself. Mm, that's a really interesting question. I mean, the thing is, stress, like you said, quite rightly, is not all bad. And we've got eustress and distress. Now, eustress is a positive form of stress. It's performance enhancing. It puts us psychologically to thrive. Distress is when we get reduced productivity, our performance is suffering, our health is going in decline, and our, and our moods and our emotions are being are being. Um, damaged by it. Now, the problem is with modern living is we were basically built biologically to be able to deal with acute bouts of stress, you know, a normal life, thriving, bout with acute bouts of stress. But because of modern living and the way that we work, we are chronically stressed, meaning that we're just having repeated doses of stress without any recovery in between it. And that is the problem. Because when we go from acute stress to chronic stress, then we see changes at a biological level that are actually causing us damage and leading us towards disease. And I think one of the things is that we're not really taught how to manage stress. And the problem with it is, is like if you learn how to, in terms of burnout, for example, one of the biggest causes of burnout is chronic stress that is not well managed. So how do we go about managing that stress? If we could reduce our stress or manage it, then we would be putting ourselves back into the thrive state. So the problem with stress is that it's it's the continuous doses of it and we need to learn a ways to kind of manage our stress, reduce it, and so we're not in a chronic stress state and then absolutely causing damage at a biological level. I love it because... I- because that's, I think, something people say, oh, man up, you need stress in your life. Or, you know, it's that moment of, don't be silly. Of course, jobs are meant to be stressful. Of course, for that. But I found it interesting, like, because you were like me, you know, you were going home hating your life. You were going home drinking and set. And no point did you think of taking a day off. But I bet you went in and played the character Absolutely. of the version you wanted to be. And I found that I was like, I was going in. And I was expected to work at evenings. I was expected to work at weekends. Wasn't getting paid for it. Wasn't in my contract. But to get the work done, why do you think we we've lived that as a badge of honour? Why do we feel that like our dads want us to do this and expect this from her? Our mom uses this to talk to her friends on the I was about to say in the in the lodge or whatever whatever the American things are. Why you know we live in a life filled with unrealistic expectations. Why can we not just stop and go? Hey, look, I need help. You know why? Why is there that stigma, especially with guys, to not say, "Look, I'm really struggling here. I'm not living a life I want." Yeah, I think in terms of why we do it, I think there's this big misconception, which is something that I really challenged in myself and learned through studying other people and some of the highest performers in the world that there's this misconception that the longer and harder that we work that the more successful we will be and I think that's the number one we kind of feel like it's something we have to put ourselves through in order to be successful and I think another reason why we do it is we tie our kind of value our self-worth up in external things in our job in the amount of money we make in our in our possessions and so 
because we've tied our, 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 our self-worth to those external, external things, we're pushing ourselves to build those things up so we can feel that we're valuable, that we're worthwhile. So I think there is, number one, that misconception. The longer and harder you work, the more successful you'll be. But that is just not true. Because if it was, then you've got to look at some of the most successful people in the world and they're not killing, all killing themselves like some of us are doing. Yeah. Secondly, in ter- terms of dealing with those unrealistic expectations, I think you've got to, we've got one thing we've got to understand is, is that when we're trying to fill, fulfill somebody else's expectations, and this is a conversation I really, really had with myself, my dad always wanted to, me to become a doctor and I've had a troubling, a troubled relationship with him throughout my life. And so by me doing what he wanted me to, what, by me doing what he wanted me to do, I gained some kind of love and some validation and some approval and that felt good. But what it meant that I had to do was to kind of create a life that was successful according to his definition of success. And at never one point did I define what success meant to me and what that looked like. And not only did I have to create a life that was successful according to his success, but that also had to reflect what he valued in life and what was meaning and important to him. But then I started to question, hang on a minute, what are my values? What's important to me? What's important to the way that I live and work? What's my definition of success? What's the vision that I would actually have for my life that reflects my values? And is it aligned with what his expectations? And when I realized it wasn't, then it was time to change. I also realized that at the end of the day, there's that thing that they say, you know, you come into this world alone and you go out alone. And nobody was gonna come and save me, you know? And so in terms of fulfilling other people's expectations, how about fulfilling my own? Isn't that, am I, am I not worth giving myself that? You know, am I not worth it? And when you suddenly realize that you're living this life that doesn't make you happy and to the point where it's making you sick, you have to question that and say, is it really worth it? 100%. It's something that we need to be asking more of because how often do you find that people work? every single day they bust their gut never see their kids never go home and that and then they you see them they'll have died and the job will be advertised before they've even had the funeral for that person like you know before the family can even bury that person there's already the company's looking for somebody to replace them and you think that you give your whole life for a company that just goes okay we'll get the next one in you know that's sad uh, one of my um, colleagues recently passed away. He got four lines in an email out. And I thought he gave so much. He did so much more. And he probably spent hours and hours like of his own time doing stuff to help students and stuff. And all he got was uh, four lines in an email to say, we're sorry to hear the button. And I was like, what? what? Right. You know, there must be more to that. And I know we have our friends, our family, and you're meant to have hobbies outside of it and stuff. But that can be like a big burden for a lot of people, you know, fulfilling the the parental expectations, you know, we, and you're saying like no, we should no. live life on our own terms. So how do we start putting barriers in then just to start that to say, look, mom, I'm doing this and this is what I want. Or yes, societal you know, culture values says I should be arranged marriage. I should be doing that, 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 whatever it is. But no, I'm actually going to do this because we have students um, when I work at university mm-hmm. who come over there for like Nigeria and it's the first time they can express themselves and come out as gay. 
you know, they can't go home again because of the cultural values, but they can finally be themselves because they're away from the family, away from like their certain cultural pressures and stuff. So how can we start putting barriers in to live that ter- life in our own terms? That's interesting. So in terms of when you say dealing with parental expectations, I think one of the best things I've learned is you've got to listen, listen to their advice. You don't need to fight it, but then do your own thing. You know? <laughs> and I think it's funny because I spent a long time trying to explain what I was doing and the reasons I am. But it was almost like speaking Japanese to somebody that's Indian. It's like you're talking different language. If you want different yeah. things in your life, you've got a different vision and a different version of success. I realized I was never going to be able to convince my dad that what I was doing was right for me because we spoke different languages. So as I've moved forward, I've learned to listen, take what I thought was useful and kind of bin the rest and put the boundaries down. And I think that that's really, really important. And, you know, in terms of I really respect you, I really respect your advice, but you know what? I'm going to do it my way. And a lot of the time with him, I've said, you know what? I've got to make mistakes. I've got to... I've got to do all that myself. Let me do it. This is my life. And, and you know, it's my right to do it my way. And I think it, we, we find it hard, don't we, to put those boundaries down with our parents, especially because a lot of the time it turns into conflict, you know. And I think it's about managing those uncomfortable conversations and kind of showing that you're confidently and assertively and being non-negotiable in that, you know. We weren't here we weren't put on this earth to make our parents happy. And I think so many of us get stuck thinking that that's what, our, what we're here to do, right? We were here to live our life on purpose and do what makes us happy. And I think it doesn't mean that we have to, you know, we, could just, we need to just do that. We need to take confident steps to do that. And we don't need to over-explain ourselves. Because I have PhD students that are like that and they'll turn around and say, I'm doing this you know, there's to do this in my future. And then you'll say to them, okay, but what made you want to do that? And there's always a kind of lean to, well, my dad want me to, and then their reason after it is always really weak. So you know it's kind of, it's what their family are pushing them into doing rather than what they're wanting to do. And I always say you have to be insane to want to spend four or five years researching such a specifically tiny area to create a new piece of information, you know, so you have to really want it and to be doing it for somebody else. Um, you know, it just seems strange to me, but I was obviously, I had a bit of a more, I was going to say a looser mother, but that sounds really bad. <laughs> you kind of said, do your own thing because her mom and dad Amazing. were religious. So they kind of pushed them into going to church and stuff. So she always said to us, look, I don't care if you believe or you if you don't believe, figure it out for yourself you know go to church if you want you know and we always took that as a kind of do our own thing follow our own mission i had friends who were pushed into it like one one of the uh, friends at school she took away his playstation controllers to make him study you know she couldn't even let him make a decision on how he's going to study for his exams because Mm -hmm. she needed to keep the virtue of oh my kid's the best and you know and she was doing it like a kind of i need him to show reflected glory and I found that really sad that she wasn't living the life that she wanted and but that's the problem is like how then do we say to a guy who's sitting just now going look I'm stressed I'm worried I'm terrified drinking myself every night but I can't talk about this 
I can't, you know, how would you start working with somebody? Like, say if we could finally get them to come and speak to you yeah. um, as a high performance coach, how do you start breaking down that, that barrier that we put in that we have to be strong and silent? We're not to come and speak to you. We're not to admit we're failing. We're not to admit, you know, we're not to come and do and figure it all out ourselves because that's what a lot of guys, I don't know if you've seen that video of the girl ask, who do you speak to if you have a problem? And all the guys say, no one, I'm a guy. I figure it out myself. I have no one. I don't know who to speak to. How can we get guys to realize you don't need to be strong and silent? If you're dealing with something right now, stress, depression, whatever it is, come and speak to somebody like you to help mm -hmm. them along this journey. How do you break that barrier? Because that might be the hardest thing is admitting to yourself you have yeah. a problem. Well, first of all, why? Why, why? why do we have that belief? Why do we feel that men should be strong and silent? Give me one good piece of fact or evidence that says that this is something that we should do. And then let's look at what the consequence of that belief is. Because suicide is the leading cause of death in men in the UK under the age of 50. So look at the consequence. Let's all be really, really clear of the consequences of us not talking about our problems and then keeping those things bottled up. I think when we break that down in terms of actually dealing with an individual, I think I should personally, how I do it is sharing my personal experience. And I think when you're vulnerable, and that's what I kind of try and do with, with, with some of my social media is, is express my vulnerability because when we're vulnerable, we're inviting other people to become vulnerable, right? So I can say, oh, I've, I see you, I hear you, I've been there, I've experienced this, I've lost my brother to suicide, let's talk about this, this, you know, and that kind of vulnerability in myself is inviting somebody else to break down. But I'd also ask that person that one of the questions I love asking is, if you were to solve this problem, if this was to continue, where do you fear ending up in six months, in one year, three years, five years? Where do you think you'll be? And ask yourself that really, really honestly and get a really clear view of what your choices today about staying silent might mean for you in six months, one year, five years, ten years. Is that a trajectory you want to be on? I would hit hard because I think a lot of us are dealing day to day <laughs> nobody thinks what's coming you know you don't no. think what the accumulation of it is <clears throat> so what behavioral outputs do you see do you see people is it drink drags do you see casual sex do you see violent outbursts what what are the kind of like when you're a doctor and that, what do you see people coming to you um obviously sort of not mentioning names and things but do you see like a similarity is it drinking themselves to oblivion is it drags to to lose the feeling or worry of what they're doing is it i don't know, like going out and putting themselves into adventurous and dangerous situations to kind of feel alive again or because mm -hmm. i know like from my point of view i've had depression when i was, and um ocd had intrusive thoughts i've i mean i considered it years like a few times over the years and in my head i remember seeing people and they're like whoa you know, like, and then I could see people opening up. I can remember a student coming to me and he was saying, I got put on depression. He was looking at the floor and I said, oh, I've been on them. Have you had the leg shakes yet? Have you done? And suddenly in 10 minutes, he's talking to me about how he's feeling better and how happier he is now that he did it. And 
I think that was just the thing of saying, I'm not judging you. Like you're saying, it's open yes. up and let them see that there is that kind of problem inside. I had um, Dr. Rob Kelly. I don't know if you've met him. He's an addiction specialist. Yes. And that's what he was saying is, don't tell me the thing that you're willing to admit. Tell me the thing that you're taking to your grave that you're deeply ashamed of that gives you this problem that causes you to do this and let's work on that and actually give you a life again. And I was like, whoa. Wow. You know, that kind of hit home. <laughs> and then when I found your kind of material, I was like, she gets it. She gets it. But you know, but it's but funny because I... on the no judgment stuff, because that's one of the first things I started with a new client today. And I was the first thing I started, I started to bring that into my first session really say this is a no judgment zone and I actually tell my clients some of my lowest lows and the things that I was doing and those lowest lows and say that this is where I I was so you know this is a space where we can really be authentic and be and be really really vulnerable and I think that that's really important because I think that's the, the beauty into it is like you remove that barrier of high and mighty and the client who who comes and begs for help by saying like I've been there. Let's actually cut all that crap, the stigma, yeah. the the balance of power and all that, and just go, okay, this is how we're going to do it. I, I know because I've done this, this, and this. Have you tried that? All oh, right, okay, let's try this. You know, yeah. I love that approach. I love how you're openly, well, admit to them, this is how I struggled. And they'll go, Absolutely. oh, right, I'm doing this. There's so few people who are willing to do that. It's almost like experts are kind of taught to – they're better than us. They're, I, I don't get yes, that. You're never, gonna, you're never really going to kind of motivate change by, by looking down, you know. And I think people want to work with people that have been there and understood where they have been. And, you know, I always say to my clients, I'm your coach, I'm your mentor, I'm your friend, I'm your kind of team player, and that's who I want to be. I'm standing side by side with you, I'm holding your hand, we're doing this together, like you're not alone. And I think I was, um, it was funny because even a we, we you know, we're talking about parents and, and expectations. I was having a conversation with my dad recently about my coaching. I said, you know what, do you know what dad? I said, I'm never going to be that stiff upper lipped coach. I said, look at the way I dress. I said, you know, I, I'm bringing something different to, to, to this, to, to, to what I'm doing. And I'm going to show up as me and as a kind of person that back then, I wish I was working with um, that would have helped me kind of break down my barriers and really kind of connect with myself. So, but back to your question, which is a great question on, um, you said, what do people, how, how is that kind of stress showing up in people? I think we all have a vice, Ian, and I'd like to know what yours is. We all have a vice, don't we? Oh, um, <laughs> dude, I think doing this podcast has probably become one of them. It's probably That's because great. it's a healthy one. <laughs> it's probably because I can't relax from it. So immediately I need to be doing something or I immediately start thinking. And the second I start thinking outside of who I'm having on questions, I immediately start looking back and going, I did that. Okay. That I oh, made no. that mistake. I did that, which was borderline probably could have got me in serious trouble. I did that. And she took that as that, you know, and I'm like, or I did that in a relationship and I deeply regret it. You know what I mean? It's like, no matter how small, big, legal, illegal it is, I see people kind of living in the past. I think that's probably a bad kink for a lot of guys. It's because we have stuff rolling in our minds the whole time. How many kind of go, I, I can't talk to somebody about that. 
I can't say that's a wee drink to kind of thing yet. So maybe do you find like the drinking, the drugs are kind of masking mm. that inability? Yeah, it's funny. I don't think it's funny. Um, for me, it was definitely drinking drugs. That's where I was. I was doing it. It was funny because I was so opposite. On one side, I was eating really healthy, exercising, but on the other side, losing myself of a weekend at, at raves and stuff. You know, getting wasted. But I think of a lot of the a lot of the way that I see people, that the biggest vice and the biggest way we're trying to kind of give ourselves some kind of pleasure in amongst all this pain is with food. And I think probably that's one of the most common things that I see people really sabotaging their own health and their mental health through what they eat. But equally, yes, with drink. But interestingly, not as many not as many with my clients. I think generally they're just not looking after themselves. And the first place I see that is what, is what they're eating and how they're looking after their bodies. I better not jump in here because my diet is atrocious. Um, I recently, have, had, uh, I've had um, like really bad. I'm kind of avoiding your eyes right now, <laughs> just in case, because um, I had started getting really bad um, stomach cramps. I was going to the toilet far more than, I, and I was like, "What is going on here?" You know, and I, it was I thought it was an infection. Give me heaps of different medications, didn't work. So now I've got to go in the hospital to go and get it and um, to get the the camera up Scone. the dirt road, yeah, yeah, as yeah. I was as I was calling it, and. They were saying it's probably it could be IBS, it could be inflammatory bowel disease, but it's probably right. caused. And when I, um, he said it's probably caused by the um, a mix of your stress and your diet. And when I get really stressed, I notice it gets yes. considerably worse for hours. And I was thinking, Did they explain why? Not really. And I was thinking, have I made myself physically? Have I destroyed my guts microbe? I mean, I take your cult to try to help it and all that. I was thinking, mm-hmm. have I broken myself? because of stress from work I feel your pain with the IBS and I I have had a history of terrible IBS so just to explain what's happening there for you Ian is that when we are in an acute stress strain so when we when we see a threat or we and we get all then we're experiencing stress blood pressure's going up heart rate's increasing pupils are dilating Mm. release of glucose into the blood so we can deal with with a threat that we've got to fight off you know this insulin resistance so that sugar stays in your blood but what happens? So all of these things are happening. Your brain goes, your, your brain goes hyperreactive. There's improved concentration of focus. So everything in that stress response is doing what it's trying to do is to help you deal with a threat, to fight something or flight. So anything that is deemed non-essential, sexual organs, digestive processes, production of certain hormones like sex hormones is switched off. So that's why we see digestive problems in stress because it's being switched off. It's deemed ah. essential. We don't need to digest food. We need to fight this lion that's in front of us, right? <laughs> you don't need to feel sexy right now. You know, you oh, don't, don't need no libido. <laughs> you I'm don't need up. no libido. <laughs> so we're switching that off. And that's why we have digestive problems with stress is because that's been turned off and it's and chronically because you're chronically stressed. And that's why we see stuff in men like reduced testosterone, libido problems, and lots of kind of hormonal problems and hormonal imbalances, because those are the deemed non-essential stuff that our body has switched off in order to literally deal with fight or flight, because that's the stress response. Are we going to fight this, or are we going to run and get out of here? It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy, so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. 
you go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and level up. Because I read somewhere in one of the, I think it was the NHS thing, where they said people can feel fatigued from it because you're, you know, like the biofilm can get created in some conditions, so you can't absorb the nutrients. And I thought, yeah, okay, that makes sense because I've had a gut health expert on before, mm-hmm. um, Dr. Gamun, like fantastic, interesting guy. But something that was mentioned was that there's a pain receptor in your digestive tract, and it's the same thing that tells your brain that you're in pain. How is that linked between that and your brain? How does stress cause that kind Affect of... Affect your gut. Hmm, that's an interesting... I'm not, I'm not sure on the whole pain receptor in your gut, but what I'm very much about is your gut microbiome. Now, your gut microbiome communicates with your brain to tell whether it's happy or not. So in terms of there being something that communicates with our brain, our mental health, your gut microbiome is... The most important thing now that is a collection of bugs tri- 100 trillion bugs although some research has shown up to 300 trillion which is you know yeast bacteria but all a collection of multiple different microbes in your gut and they communicate with your gut with your brain in two ways you've got a direct line of communication your vagus nerve and then they release chemicals to your brain so yeah. when you're looking after your gut when your gut is, when you're looking after your gut they're telling your brain we're happy, we're happy, everything's good, and your brain is settled. But when they're unhappy, then they're releasing chemical messages which communicate to we're under threat, we're not happy. And they have a huge role in the form of the inflammation and how you monitoring your immune system, which then, as we, as, we, as we know, chronic stress is linked with chronic inflammation. So your gut is a very important point in terms of stress. <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. I could actually almost visualize how, and because I can remember sitting at work thinking, I've got this to do, this to do, and I need to go here, and I need to do this, and I've got to be finished at five because I got to go home for a podcast. And, and, I was like, <laughs> and I could feel myself, and then all of a sudden, I could feel like my stomach swirling. I could feel that, and I just thought, okay, it's just something bad I've eaten. Then you go to the toilet a few more times, then you, yes. plan, you then you start looser, and then you go, what? suddenly you're going and you're three loads of diarrhea and you're like, oh, wait a minute, it sounds not yeah, right here, yeah, is it? Absolutely, absolutely. And at no point, like you're saying, do we think, what are you eating? How are you feeling yourself? What? How does diet then play a role? Like what kind of, are there certain minerals? Are there supplements you want people taking? Do you have golden rules on diet that you give to all new patients to say, no matter what else you do, start doing these? You're about to say take out all the fun stuff in your diet, aren't you? No, not at all. But it's true. There's a few things going on in my head right now, and I'm going to try. The first thing I think we've got to realize is that you know diet plays a huge role in our in our mental health. And you know when I coach, I coach from four pillars: mind, body, ambition, and relationships. And so you know in the body, we've got to we've got to see that what we eat can um, affect us both negatively and positively in terms of our mental health. In terms of so, in, what what should you eat and shouldn't you eat? Well, you, 
Anything that upsets our gut microbiome is going to impact our mental health and our immune system and the amount of inflammation. So yes, processed food, refined carbohydrates, sugars, the things that, you know, fried foods are particularly bad. And I'm not saying, you know, I, I, I talked about this recently and I was like, I'm not trying to be a killjoy here. This isn't about leading a perfect life, right? Because we're not. We're here to enjoy life. Life is fun. But if you're eating those things consistently every day, then they're really, really going to be impacting your mental health. I mean, how do you feel after you've eaten, you know, something fried or some unhealthy meal? Do you actually feel good in yourself after you eat that? And that's what I always kind of say to my clients. How does that make you feel? It might feel good at the time, or but later they'll say, oh, I felt really slumped, or I had no energy, or I felt a bit down, or I felt a bit flat. It's like, okay, so let's do that connection. In terms of what I would, what I say to my clients, I'd like them to take kefir, anything fermented, kefir, sauerkraut, kimchi. These are packed full of those good, good microbes. And what's important in terms of your gut microbiome is not just the number of bugs, but the diversity. So we want lots of different types of bugs and in big numbers in order to build a really resilient gut microbiome. So I encourage that with saying, look, I have I personally have 250 mils of kefir every, every morning. I started with a new client and I was like, take your kefir. He was like, I'm already doing it. I was like, wicked. Sauerkraut, kimchi, miso, those kind of foods. But in terms of supplements, I think omega-3 is something that's absolutely, I think, important for all of us to take. We don't get enough of it. We've got, we have a lot of refined oils and vegetable oils, which are really high in omega-6, and these are really pro-inflammatory. And that's why with the fried foods, we're seeing a lot more kind of, it leads to inflammation. Omega-3 is really, really good for our brain health. It's been shown to reduce um, symptoms of depression and anxiety, and it reduces inflammation. So there's actually a really, really good article on it. If, you know, if, if your listeners wanted to look up, just put Harvard Health Review and Omega-3 for depression. It's a brilliant article that will walk you through it. The recommended dose on that is about one gram, um, it's about one gram a day. But if actually just by eating three pieces of oily fish a week, you could get the same benefit. So omega-3, and so that's something that I take and I recommend that my clients take. Again, this isn't medical advice, Ian, I don't need to say it. I'd always say check with your doctor first. B vitamins are also something that's really, really good in terms of stress. They've shown if we take them for three months and they contain B12 to help with mental fatigue and really help improve our cognitive performance. Other things I, I think are important are, depending on what you're suffering from, is magnesium. Magnesium supplementation can be really good to improve our sleep. Turmeric as well has, has anti-inflammatory properties and if we know that stress is linked with inflammation and taking anything to reduce that inflammation can be really, really positive. So there are lots of things that we can do, or we can eat from our natural diet to improve our health equally. Yes, supplements are, are supplements are really good. And the ones I would say are the omega-3, your, your B vitamins, and also vitamin D. I think we always think about vitamin D as just our bone health. But oh my God, vitamin D has plays a huge role in our brain health and our cognitive abilities. And a lot of studies have shown that uh, a correlation between vitamin D levels and levels of depression. So, you know, and we can get that vitamin D from obviously dairy products and actually being in the sunshine and things like Codroy. It's really hard not to stop and start taking notes. I keep forgetting. I'm like, I'm like, stop listening. Remember the next question. Remember the, cause that's Sorry, what I love about it. There's so many things I want to say. I mean, I'm not very that's good that's why I love this podcast because it's just like I'm scratching my own itch a lot of times. You know, I'm asking about my stuff and then asking friends and they go, oh, okay, right. Let's... So what other kind of 
treatments then would you advise like say would there be like golden rules because like my mom would always say if you're stressed go for a walk with a dog because we've been outside Brilliant. calms you down gets you going so you know like would it be like cause, you know, i mean i struggle to sleep so i'm assuming a lot of guys who are stressed are you know not sleeping insomnia things like that is it things like a purse just going outside walking going outside in the sun you know, like what other kind of staple fixes do you give before you start tackling the the work life balance, the sorry, yeah, the, work, the work life struggle, <laughs> uh, the work life flow? I think you call it. But um, you know, what what kind of staple fixes would you put in place for those listening? Okay. Just now? So let's divide it by, and I always got to keep coming back to my system, which is four pillars of health. So in terms of kind of body. What kind of things that I would put in place that we've already talked about nurturing your gut microbiome. And another way that you can do that and actually improve your energy levels, improve your mood and improve your sleep is with time-restricted eating. I'm not sure if you've heard that before, but it's when you reduce your eating window to kind of eight hours and then for the rest of the time you're fasting. So time-restricted eating and fermented products in terms of diet. In terms of our sleep and, and, and also thinking about our mind, the mind pillar there is it's just our tech borders. And that's why your mum is so right with nature because nature I'm not is telling the her. antidote. To, <laughs> <laughs> but she's right, it's the antidote to technology. When we're in nature, we're telling our brains everything's cool, things are safe, you know. And I think we really need to really think about our tech borders. So things are get the phone out of the bedroom. The bedroom should be for sleeping and sex. You know, it does. You, you don't need to be on your phone in the bedroom to keep it out of there. Let's think about light. Let's think about blue light, uh, which has emitted all our devices and having creating a boundary with that. So I always do with my clients a no tech 90. So 90 minutes before bed, screens off, put them in the drawer, get them, get them away. That's going to start allowing our bodies to settle down for sleep, improving our sleep qualities. And also technology stresses us out. Emails coming in, messaging. You don't want to see emails coming in from work at nine o'clock at night saying, you know, something's hit the fan tomorrow and stuff's coming off. So let's think about managing our, our boundaries in terms of, in terms of technology. I think, in, you know, and light is a, a really important thing. I think nowadays within the modern world, we've got all of these unnatural lights, like the ones that are shining on my face. But when in the, old, in the previous days, in evolutionary terms, we came up with the sun, we went down with the sun, and now we're living with all these artificial lights, just stressing our bodies out, we're keeping ourselves awake longer. So can we start turning the lights down? Can we be, one thing that's really, really good for night lights is red light, because they found that using red light has a lesser impact on, on our sleep than on the blue light emitting everything emitted from, from phones. So what we eat, terms of our sleep, managing our tech borders. And then another thing with sleep, you know, I think it's important to have a cold room. And I think at the moment, in terms of all the energy crisis that we've going on, that's not bad for our sleep. We want that room cold, 17 degrees C, and we want it really, really, really dark. And it's, it's funny, really, because relationships is just such an integral part of my coaching. And no, no matter what people come to me with, they will always come into it. And I think, you know, when we're at home, that's the time to nurture those relationships. Too often we're seeing sat at our kitchen table eating dinner with our phones in our hands, you know, texting and why aren't we sitting around having real conversations and connecting with people? Because that sense of belonging and connection is just so important for our mental well-being. You know, it's absolutely integral. And so we've got to enhance that. Let's get rid of technology and let's sit around the table and eat or just spend quality time with people that we love. 
because not a lot of people do that, do they? You see them kind of going out for a meal with friends and they're all sitting on their phones and you're thinking, what's the point of being out? If that what is the point? I mean, I, I, when I was really depressed, fed up with life, just I can remember actually coming on and chatting to people online because I, I felt like I could connect to people online better than I could with real friends. And then I made eventually got to the point where I couldn't put up with the crappy job I was in, the crappy friends. So I had to make that move. But not a lot of people get to that point, do they? You know, they it's kind of like, ah, it's not that bad. Ah, it could be worse. How do you get them to overcome that fear? You know, that you can make this change. You just need to step outside that comfort zone. Because we mm. can talk ourselves in and go, yeah, but I need candy crane on my phone to fall asleep. Yeah, I could do this, but my job's not too bad compared to like the refugees getting lost at sea and stuff like that. You know, we always kind of find ways to justify, to keep our bullshit mm-hmm. as our bullshit. <laughs> How do we get people to stop who are probably arguing just now going, oh, but I need my phone for, you know, uh, how do we get them to start thinking look life shouldn't be this way you shouldn't be making yourself physically sick you shouldn't mm-hmm. be needing a drink to calm down at night you know you shouldn't need to be avoiding your kids because you're stressed and you don't know how to talk to them how do we make that first step to kind of go actually i need somebody like yourself actually i need more from life than i'm getting because it's terrifying so if I've got somebody that wants something, they've got this dream, this desire, they say, something doesn't feel quite right, Cordelia, then what, but I can't do it because I'm scared. I think we need to put that fear under the microscope. And that's one of the t- things I always say to my clients, let's put this under the microscope. And similar to what we were talking about earlier, it's just like the first thing I'll say is, okay, so this is, so I'll get them to list out all their fears. And I'll say to them, if we, if we are, what, are, what is the cost of us not taking any action. Where might you be in six months, one year, five years, 10 years? Let's get really, really clear on that. And let's think about what the physical, the emotional, the mental, the financial costs to you could be. And let's get really, really clear. And then let's then let's think, what could be the benefit of trying? What about if we were successful in creating this change or even had a partial success? Let's list all those benefits out. Let's get really, really clear on that. You keep doing this. This is where we think that you might be in six months, one year, five years, 12 years. You make that change. Okay, this is what all the benefits could be and where you could be in six months, one year. And look how good that is. Then, okay, okay, you're scared. I get that. So let's start. What are your fears? We'll list them out. Now let's look at the facts. Because I think whenever we're dealing with uncertainty, we need to focus on the facts. You know, what What do we know about that? And I think that's one thing I've really, really learned over the duration of my coaching is not just to say to people, do this, but why? So what's the, what, why am I asking you to do that? What's the evidence? What's the facts behind that, that's supporting this action that I'm asking you to do? And then I think in terms of dealing with any kind of fear, it's exactly what I did with myself when I made this transition and I do with clients it's funny I did it with a client recently and only in one session and now I had a catch-up call with her and she's over in Australia you know that was her fear but we did this and and we set this fear and and we put it under the microscope and we say okay what are your fears what are the ways you know and I learned this from from Tim Ferriss you know Tim Ferriss himself has struggled with mental health and he talks a lot about fear setting and we say okay what are all the ways that we could 
kind of prevent these fears from happening? What could we do to, to stop these things from coming into occurrence? Your, all your doubts, your what ifs, your worst case scenarios, what actions could we take? And then I say, okay, let's imagine that all of these things came true. What could we do to repair them? And suddenly, Ian, you are building yourself a strategy for change because you're saying, you're looking at what you want, you know the benefits, and you're thinking, oh, these are things I need to prevent my worst case scenarios, all these things that I'm worried about from happening. And then I have a backup plan, a plan B. If shit hits the fan, this is what I'm going to do. Mm. And I think suddenly that makes people feel in control. This gives people clarity. And actually, this gives people a really clear plan of action to kind of move forward more confidently with that change. No, I love that. I love like the Tim Ferriss approach. You know, it's like, is it based on Cato? You know, and he would eat the harshest yes. foods, the wear the worst clothes and stuff, because he knew that if I've already lived life at the hardest, yeah. what do I need to worry about? And I think that's the thing it is people don't realize, you know, we say we want to do this, but there's so many things up here that could happen. So actually writing it out and looking at it and going, okay, this is what could happen or could go yeah. wrong. But what would you do if it did, you know? okay i went there and it's a crap job well you can get a job back in your old hometown exactly you know you could get a club meet some friends if you're if you don't meet anybody in the first week okay i could do this i could do that and i could get a second job in a in a like a restaurant waiting tables if i need some extra cash and it's a way to meet people it's there's so much more to it and i love that i love that you use fear setting because it's not a, a technique you see a lot of people doing but i think it's so beneficial and well, I think that's a good... creating a tangible plan, isn't it? You want you want me to give you a tangible plan. I think people, you know, we we lose so much. You know, Seneca says we suffer more in our imagination than reality. So we're yeah. actually, let's say, we're putting this into reality and we're creating tangible action um, actions uh, and, and plans which make people feel safer. And do you think this is tied then into perfectionism, where we want to be perfect in all aspects of our life? So if we're going to do a step. It's easier to talk about it and think about it and juggle it and polish it and have plans like I, I would do with the OCD. Not actually need to do it, but then you think, okay, that could happen, that could go wrong, and I need to be perfect before I leave. So we make these plans. So, you know, it's like, so rather than having a nah plan, but actually making the first step, we want to have a plan that's absolutely perfect. There's no chance we can go wrong. So we... But because we think we're doing something, we're not actually doing the step. So is perfectionist in that way kind of controlling us? Or is it perfectionism in terms of everything we need to do? We can never settle. We can never relax. Is it a mixture of both, perhaps? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is a mixture of both. It's another mistake that people who stay stuck make is wanting everything figured out, every perfect detail set out before they take action and what I always remind people of is that you're never going to have every single step laid out are you a lot of the time these steps reveal themselves we only need to really know this first one or two and then and then they then they kind of will reveal themselves as we move through our process of creating change in terms of I think a lot of the time we, we care too much about what others think and that's something I see come up time and time and time again in my in my clients and that's where the perfectionism is coming in you know socially prescribed prescribed perfectionist really is is very self-critical cares a lot about what other people are thinking about them worries about rejection worries about other people's perceived standards and that's where we see the highest cases of depression anxieties with that type of perfectionist 
And so, yes, they are going to be very nervous about creating change um, and, and failing at it. But we have to adjust our expectations. And as perfectionists, we have very high expectations. You're not going to get it right first time. It isn't going to be perfect, you know, but at least you're doing something. You're making progress. You're stepping forwards. And, you know, as I will explain time and time again, those mistakes and those failures are part of the process. And that's where we're going to really learn. And I've had some brilliant ones in my time. But God, I, you know, those those rock bottoms teach us so much more than mountaintops ever will, you know. And I think we need to really change the way we view failure um, to help us move forward. I really like that approach because what is it they say? It's, you know, if you are looking on, you can't have the troughs without the without the highs. You know, you it's like on a heart rate monitor. Once, if it's flatlined, you're never going to get everything perfect. So you're always going to have up and downs. And then if not, you're not going to be there anymore anyway. So it doesn't matter. And I, I really like the idea. I always think like when I'm in a low, this will pass. You know, it's like I think Tom Hanks said it. He said he wished he'd known he'd been told this too shall pass. You know, whenever you're in a low, this too shall pass. But in a high, everything's imperfect. You think, okay, I need to prepare for something going wrong. And then when you're between the two, you know, you think, and then when he looks at his kids when they're younger, this too shall pass. So I need to enjoy it while I can. The same for everyone. I just love that kind of mindset. I love that. I love the fact that you've mentioned that quote because it's one of my favourite. And I think it's from Eckhart Tolle, This Too Shall Pass. And honestly, Ian, it's the thing I hold closest to my heart when I've been in some of the darkest times. Because one of my truths of life is that nothing nothing stays the same. You know, everything's always changing and evolving and becoming something other than it's not. So even when we are in the depths of despair, things keep moving. And just think to yourself, this too shall pass. It's brilliant that you brought that up because, yeah, something that's very close to me. It's really hard, isn't it, though, when you're really bad and you're like, I think back and one of my regrets is I wasted those days. I wasted that relationship. I wasted that block of time. So you start beating yourself up. And then do you think that creates like almost like a a chase for perfection afterwards or we get linked to like once we start feeling better or we start making this change that, we want to have the fancy car. We want to have the better house compared to this. We want our kids to be better. Does it create this kind of a desire for the best we can because we realize how much time we've wasted? So we think mm. we need to go away and win at life and then we tie ourselves into processions and stuff and then we, we lose our own value. Is it that kind of roller coaster or am I reading too much into it? Well, that's an interesting, in terms of beating yourself up, but is it a waste of time? I would be challenging that. Did you really waste your time? Are you telling me that you got nothing from that? You took no value from it. You didn't learn everything from it. If you, it didn't if you met my you ex. And I think no. in terms of using, using that past healthily to motivate you for change, you know, and I, and I get that, but I think when we get stuck, in that kind of rumination and that beating ourselves up, that self-deprecation, that's when it becomes unhealthy because it's not generating anything positive. So I think it's about using those past mistakes, failures, places where we felt we felt short, looking at what they gave us, what value we've got, you know, what we can learn from them, and then trying to use that to propel us forward. And in terms of just responding to those things, well, I'll get a better car, I'll get a better this, I'll get a better that is dangerous because that's tying your self-worth and your and your feelings of happiness to external things. And that's a dangerous game to play because once those external things are gone, 
your self-worth and your happiness plummets, right? So I think actually it's kind of using those past kind of um, experiences to motivate change moving forwards and to really define what you want, what you don't want, what you stand for, what you won't stand for. That's how I would use those kind of experiences. That really hit home, you know, because I was thinking of how I'm judging myself against other people's cars or what I would achieve. And then if somebody did better than you, you would knock yourself out because you were like, well, I'm worthless. Why can't I do that? How can they, you know, just started competing in jujitsu and they're winning gold. And I can't even talk myself up into competing because I'm not scared that I might be make a fool of myself. You know I mean? It's like, I can remember wasting time on this drivel and I still get it now, despite all these amazing things I've done in life and stuff, stuff I never thought I'd get to do, like skydives and all this kind of stuff. And I'm now looking back and going, why can't, why am I bothered by that? Why is it mm. our society set up that it's the pursuit of material goods? And it's really sad. I mean, and I love how you mention in your stuff about how um, we're working against our own biology, you know, mm-hmm. that there is no such thing as work balance. Uh, what is it you said work-life balance is a myth instead it should be work-life flow so how do we understand that that we are not working ourselves to death to create the fancy trinkets that we're going to show off to our friends that we don't need to work 24 7 and the you know 24 7 grind is silly how do we get people to actually have this work-life flow that you mentioned that's interesting I want to, in terms of, can I just talk to, as mentioned, a little bit about comparison, because I think you picked up on something really important, which is one of the most detrimental things to our mental health. Comparison is a dangerous game, Ian, isn't it? It's a really dangerous game because it makes us feel worthless, inadequate. We have that whole fear of missing out. And I think that's really, and, and, and with the rise in social media and our social media use, that's becoming more and more of a problem. And it really, really generates feelings of inadequacy in us. And I think... One point before we talk about work-life flow I really want to make is, you know, comparison is futile because life is unfair in that way. We're all different, right? We've all got different strengths, different skills. We've all had different backgrounds, different levels of experience, different education. And so really trying to make a a proper comparison is, is really, really very hard. So I think when we find ourselves comparing ourselves to other people, which is a major thing that perfectionists do, especially socially prescribed perfectionists, is actually trying to use those that comparison you know, if you're feeling that somebody's in better shape than you are, rather than getting stuck in that kind of toxic emotion of envy and jealousy, is to actually use that use that kind of frustration to motivate you to make some positive change in your body and how you feel in your body. And trying to use that as a motivation rather than just get stuck in the comparison. So comparison is, is a really, really dangerous game. And I think we've got to be really, really careful of it. And, you know, we're all different. We've all got different strengths, skills, we're all unique. We've all got something valuable to bring to the table. And you can choose to focus on the stuff that you haven't got uh, that somebody else have, or you can start focusing on your strengths and your skills and your value and bringing that to the table. Now, in terms of work-life flow, how can we, I think it's, Work-life flow, the reason I think it's really important in terms of work-life flow instead of work-life balance, because I think when we think about balance, balance is two opposing forces. It requires two opposing forces in order to find equilibrium, right? So we're saying that work and life are two opposing things. And I think that that's creating stress in general, because 
when we're, you know, balance is a really hard thing to achieve. And I've realized that I find it very hard to find balance. When we're looking at work life flow, what we're, what we're realizing is, is certain areas of our life will need more or less attention and energy at different times, right? Everything's changing. So you start a new job, you start a new business that might need a little bit more focus for a little bit more time. That might need to be your sole focus. Perhaps your your health is, is deteriorated and actually you need to focus on your health for a bit. Perhaps you've got a new family, you've just had a child. So our, the nature of our life is always changing. And so what I think is really important is that our work and life is able to flow in order to meet those needs. There should be more flow between work and life. And that's what I guess I feel very grateful for in the work that I do now is that when I need to take my mum to hospital to have a hospital appointment and it needs to be a day like that, that's where my energy and time can be focused. And then I can flow the Love next it. day and do I having a day where I am just with my clients and, and that's what I'm doing all day. So I think balance is really, really hard for us to achieve. And like I said, it's like saying that work is here and life is here. And if we go, and I would like us to try and bring this back into more harmony where we're flowing from one to another. So how can you create more flow in your work? How can you create more ease? How can you allow for more flexibility? And I think it is really, really hard in lots of people's works. And having been a doctor doing 60, 70 hours a week or more, it was really hard for me to achieve work-life flow. But there are ways that I brought that in and we just have to, you know, we have to create kind of some structure, but also be really flexible with ourselves. I love that. I love it because it's it sounds so like easy. And then you think it actually is. It you need because I think that I love that thing about we're working against our biology. You know, we have lights to create sunlight, whereas we right. would have we would have got up with the light and we'd have gone to bed when it got dark. Instead, we've created this artificial environment. We've worked we're working from home now, so you don't I can roll out of bed. I'm literally in my office, it's just down the corridor. I don't even need to leave my flat to go to work. I can sit and do emails at night and you know, because nobody's checking in on me and saying, Come on, why are you still there? You know, because a lot of us work in our, like live on our own and stuff, and it's like we've created this nightmare scenario. I can understand why like the Matrix was so popular because we have we've plugged ourselves into yeah. somebody else's control we're not doing our own thing we're not living our own lives we're like you're saying earlier we are not living where we're, we're at work to live but just now we're living to work and i think that's really sad this is gonna sound a bit sort of 80 fairy to a lot of guys self-care now women we see go and have their baths they have their pampering sessions they have their massages what can you say to a guy to have a self-care routine you know like i know a lot of guys go no i'm not journaling no no i don't want to know that I, i'd rather go have a drink or i'd rather go mm -hmm. shoot a gun mm -hmm. or a, if they're you know like my brother-in-law oh i'm off out doing the sheep and i'm off out shooting some foxes or like you know anything to avoid being <laughs> in touch with his feelings what can we do to create a routine a self-care thing you know to get mentally physically emotionally centered and realize there's more to life than work i think that's such a brilliant question number one i think which is really important for men is solitude is spending time alone i think you know like you said women are really good at getting that self-care by bonding with other women and talking about their problems <laughs> <not> I, think, <laughs> I think men actually need to spend some time alone in solitude away from the noise 
away from mm. the noise, whether that's the noise of your family or the noise of your work. So for men, I re- just time alone, whether that's going for a hike, time in nature, getting going out on your surfboard, whatever that kind of looks like for you. And then I would think about it again in terms of the four pillars. So in terms of mind, you need an active mental recovery protocol. So what I mean by that is activities that generate alpha brainwaves, which are the brainwaves of wakeful rest. And this gives your brain time to recover. Whilst you might not like journaling, there are other ways that you can get those alpha brainwaves through meditation, through reading, there are through doing your hobbies and deep play. You know, there's been a big talk about kind of deep play and us getting back into doing things that kind of like that, that, that it's all about the challenge school balance, things that we enjoy doing, which we don't find too challenging. So think about an active mental recovery protocol. And I would be really doing something like that every single day. If you can meditate every day, but if not, then making sure that you're doing some kind of hobbies or some kind of deep play, whether that's whatever that is for you. I mean, I'm thinking painting, but obviously I'm coming up with lots of girl stuff, but that could be building something, making something, creating something. Secondly, let's talk about um, kind of your relationships. I think for men, it's extremely important, just like women, to bond. But I think that men bond around purpose. And so can you meet other men and spend time with other men and bonding over a shared purpose? And for a lot of that, that might be sports, right? Men love sports and getting together and playing golf or doing kind of something similar. That is your self-care because that's giving you the connection and that sense of belonging that you need. Okay. In terms of, and in terms of kind of body, I think... We need to, that doesn't really differ really when you're, whether you're a man or a woman. We need to move our bodies. We need to exercise. And I think one thing that it's difficult for men to connect with is they're very good at going hard and fast. And that is great. You know, the cardiovascular exercise is great for our heart health and our lung health and our insulin resistance. Um, and also in terms of building and um, preventing kind of age-related muscle loss and all of those things and lifting weights, which is great for preventing osteoporosis. But what about more gentler exercises that allow you to down-regulate your stress systems, down-regulate your sympathetic nervous system, your stretching, your yoga? I'm not saying that you should go to a yoga class filled with women, but is that something that you could incorporate more? You know, I've got a male client at the moment who's loving Pilates, and he always, and we've built a routine where a Monday night is Pilates night, and he does 30 minutes of Pilates, and God, that helps him so, so much. But then he's also running 15 to 20 kilometers a week. So again, it's that something hard and fast, and something, something kind of relaxing. So you need to think about your mind, we need to think our body, and you do need to think about connection. And I think, you know, just because I understand, you know, don't, don't want to journal, well, can you just meditate? You know, I use the Calm app. Can you do something that you enjoy, a hobby? Can you bond with men over a shared purpose, over some kind of shared sport? And then can you do something as well as hard and fast, like lifting weights and running? Can we do the other that? Something stretching, something kind of mind-body connection like yoga. I love it because I was saying what I'm saying. I've seen it like for me. I've seen what my sister, my mom, how they bond, and you know the how friends of like my girlfriend and her friends used to bond and stuff. And it was like you know they it's like all touch and hugs and you know spending quality time to get where guys were kind of like looking around going fuck what do we do here like you know how do we and that's why I'm a big fan of like jujitsu. Um, DDP yoga, you know, because wow, it, it's stuff that can make you go, but it can combine like meditation, some of it, but it can also do it in a cool way, 
you know, like yes. rock music. It's you know, it's and it's sad that we need to go. Let how do we make this more masculine? Like jujitsu's amazing, and I'm really sad. I can't. I've been signed off training for a bit, and then suddenly now I've got into my head. How do I go back? How you know? I'm start building into my head of, oh, what about going and I'm bad and terrible again, and I've lost all my <sighs> you know technique. You know, immediately guys kind of going. I'm looking yeah. for ex- problems that are there. And I think that's what a lot of guys need is a way of kind of going, look, this is a downtime. Let all that out. Talk to somebody. Write it out. Like you're saying, meditation. Let the thoughts go because we're not dealing with it, are we? We're kind of just keeping it swirling, 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 going in day after day after day, bringing that bullshit yeah, and increasing yeah. it rather than actually going, actually, like you're saying, I could go and get a sport. I could do this. I could do that. It's this is why I wish I had somebody like you years ago. Because I think <laughs> when the stress and the like the 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 evil side of it, I put myself through making mm. myself physically sick. And even now, you know, I'm now going to have like two of you, one on each shoulder, the devil and the good one, going <laughs> back, get on with it. But what research then would you want people? to do into this what would you like to people to do to kind of change society so we're working healthier because if this is having such an impact in the medical um, you know on the cost and the the health the relationship damage this is doing and all that kind of stuff what kind of research changes would you like to see getting implemented rather than here's a bunch of depressive you know um like antidepressants here's some mm. gaviscon there are other brands available obviously but you know what would you start implementing if you could change this on a wider scale i think one thing that i'm really interested in seeing the more research done in is how stress is really, uh, is affecting us genetically what's it doing at a genetic level how is it going to impact you know, our children and their children and what, are, what what's going to be the consequences of that. I think it's so, you know, creating change is really, really hard, isn't it? And especially, especially at kind of a societal level. And I think it's interesting when you talk about what research I'd like to see being done, because somebody that I really, really respect is uh, Professor Sanchin Panda. Now, he's a researcher in America that's done all this research on time-restricted eating. And, you know, as a coach and a doctor, I'm constantly looking at the new research and, 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 and filtering it into the work that I do. And, you know, that's, that's my job, really. And he, um, he, was, he was the one that kind of identified that we could be reversing things like type 2 diabetes and obesity um, and heart disease with restricting our eating windows. He was giving mice or rats like McDonald's and um, healthy food. And even when he was giving the, these rats um, unhealthy food, but in a restricted time window, he was seeing the reversal of some of these diseases. But interestingly enough, I was looking a bit back over his stuff recently and he wanted to start doing this research in humans. And what was happening? What was happening? He was struggling to get any funding for it because, of course, there wasn't going to be any profit from it. If we were suddenly to turn around and say, do you know what? We can solve your diabetes, your obesity and all of this just by restricting your time window. Well, the drug companies were going to be screwed then, weren't they? So nobody wanted yep. to fund it. It's not sexy, is it, to say you're going to lose your profit? You know, the things that people survive on to suddenly say we're actually going to take away the dependent need of it. I mean, look at America. How much are they willing to give them, like, opioids and all these kind of things, like drugs that are known to be addictive, rather than saying, 
we're going to send you on a course to actually find out how not to blow your top. We're going to give you something that'll just keep it under the surface. I just think that's terrifying. So what advice then would you give to people with young kids or people like new fathers? How can we get them to realize like that stress doesn't need to be this way? We can live happy, healthy lives and work. What would you say to people like for kids so we don't repeat our current generation's fallacies, I think? Looking at the people around them and looking at the, the impact of stress having on them, do you want to be like them? Are they happy? Are they successful? Number one. I think the way that I learned that it didn't need to be that way, honestly, Ian, was by looking at other people and studying other people. I got really heavily into books when I was coming out of that period of burnout and depression. And I was reading about these people and some of the things that they did and how successful they were and thinking, hang on a minute. That's not, I I didn't know it could be like that. I didn't know that that was even a way. That's not my yeah. blueprint. That's not how I was programmed. And that's where the mindset change came. Because I was like, shit, God, okay. What I've been told is a lie and there is another way and it doesn't need to be like this. So I think educating ourselves and research and looking at people that we admire and studying them and learning what they're doing, looking at learning from them and the way that they're looking at things and doing things is really, really important to encourage change and show us that it doesn't need to be that way because it doesn't, does it? Because there are a lot of people that are living happy, healthy, successful lives that aren't burning themselves down while there is this large proportion of us that keep doing the same thing and expecting that we're going to get a different result. And I think the statistics say it all. You know, the statistics say, you know, what's heart disease is the third leading cause of death in the UK. And we know that's a lifestyle disease that's completely come. Yeah, and look at alcohol and what alcohol is doing to our country and all of those things. And so I always said to myself, do I just want to become another statistic? No, no, I don't. And I so I need to make a choice to make a change. Do you think that's coming from a lot of, like, these bigwigs who need to sound important so when they're saying what they do, they ham it up like I'm working 24 seven. I'm doing this. Well, in reality, they're not. But because there's this belief that you have to be grinding 24 seven, you have to be hustling every day. That the people who are trying to get like them don't realize that the stuff that they're doing work and the stress they put themselves under isn't actually what like these big wigs put on. Because I mean, look at Tim Ferriss, the four hour work week. People said, no way can you run a business doing roughly four hours a week. Not possible. And he's saying, well, you can if you do the systems and stuff. But we'd rather believe that you're working 24-7 so it justifies what you're doing. Is there an element of kind of not understanding and kind of trying to emulate but overexertion and we're not actually getting anywhere because we're going too much compared to what that person's actually doing, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think we think, I sometimes think, and I think I thought this myself, that we think that we'll be different, don't we? Or we'll be different, we'll, we'll be better at this, or it won't affect us. Or I had this thing of, like, I'm invincible. For a long time, I, I felt like I pretty much was. <laughs> um, but it catches up with all of us, you know, in the long run. And I think, um, yeah, I think you've got to be careful who you listen to and, and the advice you take, you know. And I think, I look at my brother, and I look at... That, those, that period before he took his life and how he was breaking him, like just just working himself down to the ground. And I could see it and it was 
six months before he died, I bought him that book by Professor Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep. And I don't know for anyone that wants to improve their sleep, I really, really think you, because it will, it will scare you, because ultimately the shorter you sleep, the quicker you die. I mean, that is the bottom line. And at that time, my brother was sleeping four and a half hours a night, maybe five hours. And I was like, oh, this cannot continue. You cannot, cannot continue like this. And I think... But why it was being on that treadmill, trying to keep up with that blueprint, trying to just, but we've got to see that there is another way. And I think one thing I always do with my clients is like, look, get them to list all the choices that they have available to them right now. Because I think a lot of the time we feel that we've only got one choice and that's why we stay stuck. But why don't we just stop, do a bit of self-care and spend some time in solitude thinking about who you are, why you matter and why you exist and think about the other choices that we have because there's many ways to skin a cat, isn't there? And that doesn't mean that one way that's obviously driving us to poor health and stress, to me, kind of doesn't, doesn't the, the cost-benefit analysis of that is telling to me that that ain't worth it. Well, I always say to it... people, what's the point of reaching the top in failing health, you know? Well done. You got to the <laughs> top of your career. But your health is screwed. What are you going to do then? And that's the thing. You think one more day. I'm just going to keep going day to day. It will be worth it because I'm going to make this millions later on. And the fact is you're never going to do it because you're grinding yourself down to a nub that the person you try to emulate hasn't even done it like that. You know, are they being like Donald Trump, the self-made billionaire who's not even a billionaire, who had a loan from his father of a million dollars? Right. But people are trying to emulate him, acting the way he is, thinking that's how he got who he And there's they tons of... They, I was just about to say, they don't reveal their failures, do they? And there's tons of stories like that of people where you actually find out what they did and you go, oh, that's not the image they gave. And they're like, yes, because that's the image they sell their courses with. They do. And it's like when you actually see somebody successful and they go, I did this and this, and you go, oh, right. Well, I'm not going to do that if you had that failures. But you have to fail to, to learn to grow and develop. And oh, I mean, I think that could be a podcast as well. I have to get you back. I mean, I've loved this. I know we're way over time, but sorry for using that. Thank you so name. much. <laughs> I'd love to do another one and go into depression and really look that at too. that because that's an area I think would help so many people. But for people who have been listening to this one and taking notes and thinking, I've got to follow you and I've got to do everything, I've signed up with her and work with her and stuff, what would you want them to take from this firstly? And how can we keep in touch with you? You know, how can we sign up to work with you, find your website, etc.? What do I want them to take with from this is number one, that there is another way. You know, there isn't just one way to live a happy, successful life. Is it really working? And look at the other way. I think the other thing that I want want, want people to take from this is health is wealth. You know, and I don't think we, we've really got to think about that phrase. And I, and I kind of love it. Health is wealth. Because without good health, we don't have anything. You're not going to be able to be there for those, those kids. You're not going to be able to show up in your role and do that job. So really, we need to be kind of thinking about health at the forefront of anything. And just because... You can't see the damage that the stress is doing to you now. It's doing damage. And it's something that we've got to think about. Think about where I said in terms of where you might be in six months, one years, five years, you know, is where what you're doing today, taking you to a place that, you know, you don't, that you don't, that you want to go. And I think in terms of creating change, you know, 
I think change is scary. You know, growth is scary and fearlessness doesn't exist. You know, it just doesn't exist. We, whenever we're stepping out of our comfort zone, you know, when anything's novel, uncertain, threat to ego, or there's a loss of sense of control, so that's the acronym NUT, is going to feel scary. That's going to in, initiate a stress response. But I don't think anything is scarier or, or than staying stuck somewhere you don't belong. So let's pull, pull that, you know, there's always a way to manage that fear. There's always a way to pull apart it. There's always a way to prevent it and to repair it. So don't expect to be fearless when you're making these changes. Don't expect it to be comfortable because it's not. But just think about the benefits and think, you know, do I want to stay stuck where I am or is it worth just giving this a go? I love that. I love the when people give messages like that that just linger and you feel the sparks. You can feel that ignition, that change coming. Because that's one of those things, that question about that leads you to action without even realizing it. You start thinking about it before you know what you think. No, I want more from life. Oh, I love that kind of I can see why you've been so successful. Those kind of mm-hmm. questions get to our soul, get to the the nucleus of us rather the you know cuts through the bullshit and you get people to change oh i've got to have you back on but for for people then who want to connect you've got your amazing instagram your website's fantastic how can we you know book in a call are you taking clients on are you going to bring out books you're going to do ted talks how what what are you going to do to, to keep this like this evolution of your business going how can we follow this journey you're on that's interesting so yeah most of my stuff at the moment my main channel is instagram but i've definitely got a message that i want to spread let's put it that way i'd love to write a book but you know what don't what what do they say you know don't run before you can walk so at the moment i think my main focus is just getting great results for my clients and you know I learn from them and that's the great thing it's like they come to me they're learning from me and all the time I'm learning from them in terms of yeah send me a dm on instagram it's my handles at dr cordelia pill you want to connect with me it's easy it's connect at dr cordelia peel.com you want to book a call with me just come let's have a chat so I do three 30 minute consultations you know we'll just we'll just talk about what's going on with you and how I might be able to help and you can book that through my link tree on Instagram you know I, I am constantly talking to people and connecting with people and I think Instagram's a great place um, for me to do that you know I'm in my DMs a lot you know when, you know I'm just sharing kind of experiences with people and it's funny that the Instagram thing because when I started this business I had that limiting belief of like you can't build real connection with people through an online platform like that and now it really to me feels like an online community where I'm talking to people about real stuff all the time and so yeah come and connect with me drop me a DM book a free 30 minute call send me an email um and I guess watch this space. I, you know, I, I love what you're doing, Ian. And like I said, to be invited on a show that is um, targeting men um, really is something that is so close to my heart. It couldn't, couldn't really be better. So thank you so much. And I guess moving forward, a podcast is something that I would love to do. But again, classic perfectionist, try and do too many things at once. And, I, and I've done that too many, um, too much in my life. And um, I don't want to make myself sick. So we're just doing, we're, we're just slowly, slowly building up. The book will come, the podcast will come, but all in good time. You know, it's, it's about the journey, right? <laughs> wow, well, that's it for another week. And thank you for listening. 
It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.